Yeah, so we're gonna, tonight we're going to go through cleaning, kashering, and cooking. And next week, I think what we'll do is go through what's chametz, what's not chametz, what do you have to um, worry about in terms of your medicine cabinet, your toiletries, um, Play-Doh and stuff like that, you know, the world beyond the kitchen, outside the kitchen, okay, that'll be medicines, cosmetics, toiletries, that'll be next week, and then the Lel Seder, that will also be uh, next week, maybe we should just move these two tables together, make one big, uh, perfect, okay, perfect, 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 Um, sorry, Rabbi Moskowitz, sorry. Um, okay, so that's 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 going to be the uh, the the approach. I think the roadmap to the uh, Pesach Shiyum over here. Okay, and there will be time. Uh, we'll, I'll pause here and there for questions. Hopefully, we'll have adequate time for everyone to ask their questions. And the goal is hopefully to make Pesach um, user friendly, to make it a little bit more maybe 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 even appealing. Maybe that's very optimistic. But at least it shouldn't be so terrifying. That's that would be very uh, very big success. Pesach shouldn't be so terrifying. It's really not so terrifying. And um, Let's just begin with the basics, break things down, um, what is going on behind the scenes and what that obligates us to do uh, in the kitchen and the rest of the house. So let's begin with, with uh, I guess, our, our uh, public enemy number one is chametz. Uh, all, of our, um, all of our headaches and the, 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 uh, everything that we have to worry about this time of year, is really, it all comes down to chametz. It's all about chametz. And... Um, by focusing first on what it is that we have to know about chametz, I guess, knowing the enemy, uh, that really just establishes very clear guidelines as to what we have to worry about on Pesach, what we don't have to, what we have to be cleaning, what we don't have to be cleaning, how we have to be cleaning, and how we don't have to be cleaning, where we have to be cleaning, and to what degree, and where we don't have to be cleaning at all. Not halachically, anyway. So, the Torah is, is pretty clear, when things come down to us in halacha, that chametz has... Two basic prohibitions that we have to be concerned for on Pesach. One is you're not allowed to own chametz, and one is you're not allowed to eat chametz. Without getting into Talmudics, without getting into what we call the Lamdis, this breaks down further. There may be multiple prohibitions, but the, the multiple prohibitions within these categories. But in terms of the basic categories, you, one is not allowed to eat chametz on Pesach. One is not allowed to own chametz on Pesach. And there is a third accompanying a prohibition that you're not even allowed to derive any benefit from chametz on Pesach. So even if you're not eating it, even if you're not owning it, uh, you can't derive any benefit from chametz on Pesach. What would that look like? What, what does it mean to derive benefit from, from chametz even if you're not, without, without eating it, that would mean to, to gift it to someone. Giving chametz to somebody on Pesach, that's called deriving benefit. Um, a more relevant example, for some people, would be pet food. Is a very good example of deriving benefit from chametz on Pesach. Um, your dog is allowed to eat chametz on Pesach. Your cat is allowed to eat chametz on Pesach. The Torah doesn't give isurim to your pets. Cats and dogs don't have mitzvahs. So your dog can eat, from the dog's perspective, he can eat whatever he wants. And in fact, you know, uh, the, the dog on Pesach becomes one of our biggest paiskim. Everybody knows that one of the uh, criteria for Pesach is roi lachilas kalev. So that the, the dog actually gets a bit of, so, so, sort of a smicha on Pesach. The dog is there to establish what's chametz and what's not chametz. The dog can eat whatever he wants. Torah doesn't give the dog mitzvahs. But a Jew is not allowed to feed his dog chametz on Pesach. You're not allowed to feed your cat chametz on Pesach. You can't feed your goldfish chametz on Pesach. When I was a kid growing up, um, 
when, whenever we had these phases and stages where all we had to have goldfish in the house and aquariums in the house, so they never made it past Pesach because we were never able, in Denver, Colorado, we couldn't get kosher Pesach fish food, and every year we tried feeding them the same uh, matzah meal. Gave them matzah meal, and, and the fish was, was not a happy ending for the fish. So every year we would have to get new fish. Um, you know, with, with the with Shreyfus Chametz went the goldfish also, and uh, we would get have to, you know, get, uh, get replenish the fish every year. Um, but technically speaking, the fish themselves are allowed to eat chametz, dogs are allowed to eat chametz, but you're not allowed to feed your pets chametz, and that would be a nice, another example of um, deriving benefits from chametz. So that's incidentally, but not really so incidental. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of mentioning this all the way in the beginning, but very, very, very critical to know those who have pets on, on, on Pesach, when Pesach time comes, you must ensure that what your pets are eating is not chametz. Um, kidneyous pets are actually allowed to eat kidneyous. Again, we're skipping around a little bit, going a little bit uh, right now, just jumping to, to pets and pet food. We may not get back to that later tonight or uh, I don't know about next week, but pets are allowed to eat kidneys. The pro- prohibition for kidneys is only on people. Um, and said better, kidneys, which Ashkenazim don't eat, is only a prohibition in eating. When, when, when we have this minig, we adopted a minig not to eat kidneys for Ashkenazim, the minig is only not to eat kidneys. You're allowed to own kidneys and you're allowed to derive benefit from kidneys. So you may feed your, your, your pets uh, kidneys if they enjoy kidneys. If kidneys will keep them alive, you're allowed to feed them kidneys. You are not allowed to feed them chametz because that is an example of deriving benefit. Um, if you find, uh, if someone delivers chametz to you on Pesach, uh, this what happened one year that uh, on Pesach it was clearly, clearly a uh, conspiracy of the highest order coming from um, the anti-Semites, the neo-Nazis of, of the land. But there, I remember this one year that the sun, when people used to get newspapers, anyone remember that when people used to get newspapers? Um, so Sunday morning with Cholmite Pesach, no, Yamtiv was it was it was it was Sunday, Sunday was was uh, Yamtiv that year. Um, in the Sunday morning edition newspaper came a free sample of Wheaties, a little box of Wheaties came on Pesach in the newspaper, um, rolled up in the newspaper. Every 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 you got this. That's when my parents living in Muncie at the time. Actually, they moved from Denver to Muncie. They were living there for Tukufa, and everyone in Muncie got a little box of Wheaties in their Sunday morning newspaper. On, on Yom Tov. So you could not, even if you can avoid the issues of acquiring that on Pesach, you don't, we're not allowed to own chametz. Okay, even if you can avoid those issues of owning chametz on Pesach, but you can't take that box of Wheaties now and give it to your next door neighbor, the guy. You can't do that either because, again, that's called deriving benefit. Gifting something to a guy is called deriving benefit. Keeping your pets alive is called deriving benefit. So just, that's just to flesh out the third category because that's sometimes the mysterious, elusive um, area of chametz when we talk about. Yisurei Hanah, deriving benefit, just to bring things um, down to uh, home base for us, make them a little bit uh, grounded. The third category of what you're not allowed to do with chametz, which is deriving benefit, those would be very relevant examples. Keeping your animals alive is deriving benefit, and, and anytime you gift someone something that's also called deriving benefit because they're now indebted to you, they're gratified that they got something from you that's called deriving benefit. So again, let's just get back to the top. Try to get back to uh, proceeding here with structure. Um, chametz has three basic categories of prohibitions. You can't own it, you can't eat it, and you can't derive benefit from it. Okay, so 
That's why we make sure we don't have chametz in our house going into Pesach. That's why we're we're busy cleaning for for weeks and weeks and weeks going to Pesach. I am we're, that's why we're very busy cleaning, um, going into Pesach, so that way we ensure we don't have chametz in our house, and we ensure that we're not going to be eating chametz either. Both of those are prohibitions. Um, based on that, though, we can now try to figure out what we have to be cleaning, where we have to be cleaning, and what we have to be on the lookout for, not just when it comes to cleaning, but also this is very relevant when it comes to bedikas chametz. What are we cleaning for, and what are we looking for when we do bedikas chametz the night before Pesach? So, it really breaks down along the lines of the two primary prohibitions, eating chametz and, and oni chametz. And they come in two different shiurim, two different measurements, two different sizes. When it comes to ownership of chametz, you're not allowed to own anything that is larger, that is a kazayas or bigger. The size of a kazayas, and a kazayas generally, we, we, we say it's about 30 grams, approximately the size of a, a, a matchbox. That's generally how we assess a kazayas, certainly for Pesach purposes, for chametz purposes. Anything that's a kazayas or larger is what you're not allowed to own on Pesach. That's what you're not allowed to have in your possession. Anything smaller than that, you are not um, violating the Torah prohibition of ownership of chametz on Pesach. Okay, so it has to be at least the size of a matchbox. <clears throat> That's when it comes to ownership. When it comes to eating chametz on Pesach, even a minute amount of chametz may not be eaten on Pesach, even if it's a crumb, even if it's a small, little uh, morsel of chametz, that cannot be eaten on chametz. So why are we cleaning? Why are we cleaning diligently going into Pesach, we're cleaning very, very, very uh, industriously going to Pesach to make sure, A, we're not going to be owning any chametz, and B, to make sure that we're not going to be, um, that we're not going to be eating any chametz. Now, one may ask, well, we all sell our chametz anyway, so why do you have to do anything? Why do you have to do anything? We, we're we're going to sell our chametz anyway. We're going to sell our chametz anyway. So the answer to that is a, a little bit... Um, Layered, not complicated, but layered. And to to walk through that, because this is a you know basic question everyone asks immediately: uh, Why, if it's true that I'm going to be selling my chametz anyway, we all sell our chametz, and that means once I sell my chametz, I don't own it. So if I don't own it, I can't be in, in possession of it. Why am I cleaning? So uh, obviously, right off the bat, one reason you'd have to clean, even though you're selling all of your chametz, is because even if you're not going to own it, you're still not allowed to eat chametz. You can't eat the chametz regardless of who it belongs to. You can't eat your chametz. You can't eat the guy's chametz. So. Um, Maybe that you sold your chametz, but hey, if, if you don't clean your kitchen very well, and you, you're cooking up all your Pesach dishes in your kitchen, and there's chametz flying around, chametz going to get into your food, you're going to end up eating chametz on Pesach, even though you sold your chametz. So who cares whose chametz you're eating, but you're eating chametz on Pesach, you're not allowed to eat regardless of who you sold to. So that would at least account for why you have to, why you have to clean the kitchen very well. You have to clean the kitchen very well, because we don't want chametz getting into our food, because you're not allowed to eat even a small morsel of chametz on Pesach. What about the rest of the house, though? Why do I have to clean, you know, at the kitchen? I understand the dining room, I understand. Okay, these are understandable, because that's where I'm eating. But what about the rest of the house? Why do I have to clean anywhere else if I'm selling my chametz? So the answer is like this. The answer is we still have to clean, because, A, we relate to selling the chametz kind of as a backup, as a safety net. Selling the chametz is not um, something that we rely on as a as a uh, an ideal option. It's not something that we're relying on, as we say, as a lichatchilo. It's not something that is a um, 
a, a first tier solution for chametz because there are those a that dispute the 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 legitimacy of the sale, and, and there is merit to this dispute. There are those who, who say, look. You know, it's kind of like a joke. You go to the guy before Pesach, here's my chametz. After Pesach, the guy comes and says, here's your chametz back. And, and, and generally, what Rabbanim do, Rabbanim that have to sell chametz, they always go to the same guy every single year, because these guy, they know the ropes, they, 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 they know, they, they, they know the whole script. There's a guy in Ranhurst that buys more or less all the chametz from, you know, the entire northeast area of Philadelphia. He buys all the chametz of Summerton, he's buying all the chametz of Ranhurst, he's buying the chametz that's at Elkins Park. He, this, this guy is sitting atop a, 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 a whole mountain of chametz. One guy, very nice guy, nice guy. And he's been doing this, he told me, last year, um, 20-something years. And every year, it, it's like they follow the same script. Okay, we're giving you this, now you're getting position of that, and now we're going to do this kind of a transaction, that kind of transaction. And he knows the whole system, he knows the whole thing. But he knows it so well... You know, there's room to 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 to, to uh, get a little concerned and say, you know, is it just following a script? Is it just a a a, a, a gimmick? And we we do look. We we sell our chametz and we buy the chametz back. And the chametz that sold will eat after after Pesach is over. At the same time, we don't want the sale of chametz to be the only thing that is preventing us from transgressing Torah prohibitions. We don't want that to be our only line of defense. Now, when you're up against, as we said, Chametz is the enemy. He's public enemy number one. He's very wily, very crafty. He comes with an Isra Kares. He comes with all kinds of prohibitions. We don't want our only line of defense against the Chametz to be this sale that we do with a guy, which is, okay, here's the Chametz, Mr. Guy. Here's your Chametz back, Mr. Jew. That being the case, we want to ensure that even if we're not relying on the, on the sale, we, we either way are covered, we're okay, and we don't have chametz in our house, that we're going to be, that we're going to be, um, um, unaware of chametz in our house that, that is maybe wasn't covered in the sale, and chametz in our house that's not monitored, that, that's flying, that, that, that that's, that's loose and unmonitored. So, what we do is we make sure that we don't have anything in the house that is, again, that's, which is not going to be sold, that is the size of a kazais or bigger, because that's the amount that one is now going to be violating the Torah prohibition of ownership of chametz. <clears throat> That's the first reason why we're checking for chametz anyway, because, again, what's, what's being sold is being sold. What's not being sold, we, 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 we're, we're concerned for things that aren't covered in that sale, and we don't want that sale to be the only thing that we, we're relying upon. And the other reason why we're, we're, we're checking to make sure that we don't have a kazai's worth of chametz in our house is because there's another concern that maybe... Again, what's sold is sold. When we, we, when we, when we sell the chametz to the guy, everything is described in the, you know, we, we write out um, in the what contract. Did you just do? What should I write? We, we write in the contract everything that's being sold, and all the chametz that's being sold is very clearly listed. Uh, we're afraid that you're going to find some chametz somewhere that wasn't covered in the contract, chametz that wasn't sold, and momentarily, when you find that on Pesach, before you get a chance to destroy it, you're going to be guilty of owning it before you get a chance to go and destroy that chametz. So that's the other reason why we are very careful about cleaning the house before Pesach and searching the house before Pesach. Um, in addition to the crumbs that might be lurking around your kitchen, the crumbs that might be in your dining room, that might get into your food, we are concerned for a matchbox size of chametz or larger that you may, that may be around your house that wasn't put away with the chametz that you're selling, that wasn't known to you, that wasn't listed in that bill of sale, that may be under the sofa, that may be under the 
the the uh, China cabinet, and that may only turn up in the middle of Pesach, and you may in fact own it for those few minutes before you get get your act together and destroy it. So, just in summary, summarize where 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 you know where we are currently standing over here in terms of uh, chametz and, and 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 cleaning for chametz and searching for chametz. <clears throat> What we need to be on the lookout for in terms of cleaning for Pesach and what we're really, what we really are looking for is only one of two things. Chametz, a chunk of chametz that I'm unaware of that's the size of a, of a kazais or larger, or a small morsel of chametz that may end up getting into my food. Let's take that a step further because this will allow us to really, you know, get down what we have to be cleaning and what we don't have to be cleaning, where we have to be cleaning, and what we don't have to be cleaning, and what we really have to worry about. We mentioned earlier this idea of chametz, having the status of chametz only when a dog would still eat it. If a dog would still eat it, it's called chametz. Um, if a dog would not eat it anymore, that's no longer called chametz. That criteria is what we use when it comes to Determining if I'm in, if, if, if I'm owning, in ownership of chametz. What, what kind of chametz are you not allowed to own on Pesach? Chametz that is still appetizing to a dog. So if the chametz is appetizing to a dog, and if there's a kazais of it, then you have to get rid of it on Pesach. So what's the chametz that I'm looking for that, that, um, I can't, I have to get rid of because I'm not allowed to own it? It has to have two Conditions met. It has to be A, the size of a kazais, and B, has to be something that, that a dog would still eat. But if there's, if there's something that's larger than a kazais, but it's sitting, been sitting behind the fridge since last year, Pesach. It's been sitting behind the stove, and it's been molding and rotting away. It may be the size of a kazais, or larger than a kazais, but if, if, it's, if it's molded and rotten and gross and putrefying, and a dog would not eat it, you don't have to worry about it, even if it's the size of a kazais or bigger. So that also kind of allows us to save ourselves time in cleaning. I mean, you know, if you have things lying around the house that are molding and rotting away, you probably want to clean it anyway. But you don't have to worry about Pesach. It's not a Pesach concern over here. If it's the size of a, even if it's the size of a size or larger, if it's something that a dog would not touch anymore, if, if it's really gross and rotting away, it doesn't exist when it comes to Pesach. That's when it comes to ownership. Okay, where ownership, we're only concerned about something that's the size of a size or bigger. What about eating? Uh, the, the concern of eating chametz on Pesach. So we said, when it comes to, like, let's say, the kitchen area and the dining room area, um, or anywhere, anywhere in the house, really, um, there's a, there's another concern of crumbs that you may come to eat on Pesach, and crumbs that you may come to eat on Pesach are a concern even if they're less than the kazais, as we mentioned earlier. You can't eat chametz on Pesach even if it's less than the kazais. So a nice little crouton. Small little crouton, much, much less than the kazais, but on Pesach, that is, that is, um, off limits. You're not allowed to eat that on Pesach. So the second reason why we're cleaning our hands on Pesach is to look for little crumbs that I may come to eat on Pesach. You can't have chametz lying around that you may come to eat. Whether absentmindedly or inadvertently, they might get into your food. Chametz that you may come to eat is also something that you have to be on the lookout for. But how do we, how do we navigate that? How do we, how do we, Define chametz that you may come to eat. So here we have um, another, another, uh, I guess, leniency that 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 works to our advantage. The leniency that we have when it comes to chametz that you're not allowed to eat is uh, whether you're not allowed to own is twofold. It has to be at least the size of a matchbox and it has to still be 
um, something that's appealing to a dog. Roy Lachilas Kelim. The otherwise, if it doesn't meet both those criteria, you don't have to worry about it when you're cleaning up. Chametz that 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 has the second concern present that you may come to eat, um, which would apply to something that's less than a kazais, is really only a concern when it's something that you may really come to eat. So that means little bits and pieces of crumbs, little, little crumbs of of, paste, of of chametz, even if they're 100% chametz, even if they came from, you know, from bread mamish. But if there's no concern that you're going to end up eating them on Pesach, you don't have to worry about the crumbs. Okay? So this is a second very, very fundamental point of, of, uh, of knowing what we're up against over here with chametz on Pesach and, and therefore determining what we have to worry about. Crumbs only have to be dealt with and only have to be addressed when you may come to eat those crumbs. Otherwise, those crumbs really don't exist on Pesach. What does it mean you may come to eat them? One of two things. Either they may end up in your food because you didn't clean the fridge well enough, because you're using Pesach pots and pans that you use for chametz, so there's crumbs in there, there's crumbs in your oven, there's crumbs on your countertop. So crumbs that are still edible that may actually get into your food because you didn't clean well enough, you have to worry about that. Excuse me. Or crumbs that you might actually eat. You may have, you have to, you have to worry about those crumbs also. Crumbs that you might just pop in your mouth. But crumbs that you're not going to put in your mouth and are not going to get into your food, again, are irrelevant on Pesach. Which means, where do we really have to be worried about the crumbs? The crumbs are really what makes everybody neurotic. On Pesach, when it comes to Pesach cleaning. The crumbs are what makes us r- really, really crazy. You don't have to worry about all the crumbs in every corner of your house. You only have to worry about the crumbs that are in the eating areas, where you're going to be eating, the dining room area, and the kitchen area. That's where you have to worry about crumbs. Or crumbs that are lying around that when you look at those crumbs, you say, hey, that looks like a tasty crumb. Maybe I'll eat that. But if these crumbs are not appetizing to you, even if they would be appetizing to the dog... You don't have to worry about them. Because we're not talking about ownership anymore. The dog is brought in when we talk about ownership. Is it something that I'm not allowed to own? Well, it has to be a kazayas. That's quite big. And it has to be something that a dog would eat. And then, yes, I'm not allowed to own it. But in terms of me eating it, we're only concerned about us eating it if it's something that you would really eat. So little crumbs that are under your kid's beds, little crumbs that are on the, on the bottom of your kid's sock, sock drawers, Little little bits of pretzels. As long as it's not a full kazayas, you really don't have to worry about that stuff. Unless, unless you open the drawer and you say, hey, this stuff looks yummy. And you snack, you take those croutons that are, that are, that were lying under your kid's sacks. If you would do that, then you have to clean this stuff up. Then there's a concern, a legitimate concern that you may come to eat this on Pesach. The crumbs that you would not eat that are not going to get to your food really don't have to be cleaned on Pesach. What about the kids that they find themselves eating everything off the floor? It's a two-year-old and actually, like, yeah, so you were never going to even think about cleaning it, but is it, is it your child has to go under their bed and... You, on your own, you don't have to worry. It's a very good question. You don't have to worry about what they're doing when you don't see them. If you should happen to see them, well, when it comes to, when it, I'm not talking about chinuch, um, I'm not talking about uh, general your approach with the kids, but I'm talking about uh, just with, with with regards to Chaz Pesach. 
you don't have to know what they're eating when you're not in the room. But if you see them eating chametz, you have to stop them. So if you know they have a whole stash of chametz croutons and, and, and pretzels around, and, and right, so you, you don't want to set them up for eating it. And if you see them eating it, you have to stop them. But you don't have to say when you you know you get down you see three croutons all the way at the edge of the 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 the, the, um, the molding all the way on the other side of the bed on, all the way at, at the, at the uh, you know the uh, the um, end of the flooring over there um, and you see three little croutons and you say well my kid's going to go on Pesach he's going to eat those croutons that, that doesn't obligate you to clean those croutons up okay so crumbs at the bottom of drawers crumbs that that are in the in, in, uh, under the beds crumbs that are under the sofa crumbs that are in places where a, they're not going to get into your food. And B, these are crumbs that are just not appealing anymore. You don't relate to them as food. You wouldn't lick your finger and, 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 and scoop them up and eat them. You don't have to worry about that on Pesach. The only exception would be if there's enough of these bits and pieces accumulated in one place that adds up to a kazayas. Here we come back to the kazayas again. You're not allowed to own chametz even if you're not going to eat it. You can't eat chametz even if you don't own it. But the ownership that you're not allowed to have on, on Pesach is not determined by if you're going to eat it. So that means you can open up your kid's drawer and they may have a whole cookie there. A cookie, generally you have to assume a cookie is a kazais. One cookie is usually a kazais. Certainly for, for, for chametz purposes. So if you see a cookie there, but this cookie, it's been sitting there for who knows how long. This cookie doesn't, uh, this cookie to you does not look appetizing at all. But, but a dog would eat it. Let's say a dog would eat it. It's not rotten. It's not moldy. But you look at this cookie, and it just it does not look appetizing at all. It's stale, um, it's st- as stale can be, and you would never put this cookie in your mouth. But if it's the size of a kezayis, then you have to get rid of that cookie, because you're, you're going to be owning the cookie on Pesach. And you can't be in possession of a kezayis of chametz on Pesach. So similarly, if there's enough bits and pieces of chametz in one place, like let's say in one drawer, in one container, that altogether add up to a kezayis, then that's still problematic in terms of ownership. So ownership, which is determined by Kazais, but not necessarily in one piece, but in one container. One container will add everything up, will combine everything in that container towards a Kazais. So what do you have to do in areas that are outside the kitchen, areas outside the dining room, strictly according to the strict halacha? What does halacha require us to do? Open up the drawer and take a quick look and see is there anything there that is more than a matchbox worth, A, or something that I would really eat, B? Now, generally, you're not going to eat anything that you find in your drawers. You're not going to find eat anything that you find under the couch, under the beds, under the sofa, under the bookshelves. You're not going to eat any of this stuff. You know, no normal adult will eat it. And these halachas are based on normal adults, not, not your two-year-olds. So all you really need to do outside of the kitchen and outside of the dining room area is just do a very quick, a, 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 a very quick inspection and see... Is there anything more significant than just crumbs? The crumbs themselves, you don't have to worry about that. I, we like cleaning on Pesach, and before Pesach, we like getting rid of crumbs. It's fun. So save it for the end. Save it when everything is done, when your kitchen is kashered, and you cooked everything for the Seder, for the storm, and, and the, the, the table is set. Then go back and start cleaning up all the little crumbs that are, that are in the sack drawers, and that are under the beds, and under the sofas. Then you can worry about that. But really, again... As long as it's less than a kazais and it's not appealing, it's not appetizing, one does not need to worry about that. Okay, so far so good? Yes. Yeah, American size matchbox, yeah. Roughly, a cookie, a cookie is a kazais matchbox. Not those, not those really small ones. 
Uh, the sliding matchboxes, not the not the gas station matchboxes. The, the hotel, not the hotel ones. Um, okay, but let's now get back to the kitchen, and the dining room, because this is actually a little bit critical. Um, so, so we, we really that gets us off the hook of a lot, a lot of cleaning. A lot of cleaning is unnecessary. The scouring and the scrubbing and the spraying of all the bedrooms and and um, the living room even and the playroom and the toy room most of that is really unnecessary. You are on the lookout things that are bigger than a kazais that a dog would eat still or less than a kazais that you would still eat, but otherwise you don't have to worry about it. And by the way, this is the same criteria for bedikas chametz. When one does a bedikas chametz, you're looking for the same things. The Badikas Chametz does not require you to, to, you know, get down there on your hands and knees and the, the, the little, the grout that opened up in between the, the floorboards and the molding over there and to fish out those little croutons. Badikas Chametz doesn't obligate you to do that because you wouldn't eat that stuff in a million years and there isn't the kazais of it over there. You don't have to worry about it. Badikas Chametz, you're again doing this quick inspection. Is there a kazais there that a dog would eat or is there less than a kazais that I would eat? And if it's not there, Vaita, you go on to the next drawer, you go on to the next area. That's all you're looking for in Badikas Chametz and all you're looking for in cleaning. Now, the kitchen and dining room are much more uh, delicate areas because here we have a serious concern about Chametz landing in my food. Um, I wouldn't pick up that crouton from from um, under the bookshelf and eat it, but what if that crouton goes into my soup and I eat it? I ended up eating chametz, and if that crouton is still edible, if it's it's still edible, even if I, it's not appealing to me, but if it's edible and it got into my food, we know the rule is on Pesach, chametz does not become negated. There's no rule of bittel. During the year, there's something called bittel that forbidden substances will become bottle b'shishim. One to sixty becomes negated. We know that on Pesach, this rule of bittel doesn't apply, and it could be one to a thousand. One to ten thousand, it doesn't become nullified. It doesn't become negated. So if a crumb of edible chametz goes into your food on Pesach, you're actually going to have inadvertently eaten chametz on Pesach. This is why the kitchen and the dining room, we are much more meticulous and, 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 and much more um, uh, vigilant in cleaning the kitchen dining room areas because we worry about these crumbs that might get into our food. That being said, there is something that is highly recommendable and that really solves a lot of the problems that could otherwise come up in your kitchen and dining room and that is to clean everything with bleach. Toxic cleaning agents. Poison. Why is that? So everyone, here we get neurotic. And rightfully so, in the kitchen we do get nervous neurotic because we know chametz doesn't become bottle. And if one crumb of chametz goes into my soup on Pesach, Gewald, I just ate chametz. That only applies to chametz that is still edible, at least by a dog. But if the chametz is no longer edible, even if I end up eating it, I didn't eat chametz. And the best way to render chametz inedible is to make it poisonous. Is, is, is to, is to, is to bleach it. Is to, 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 to take, uh, what are the, what are the sprays? Lysol. Lysol. Windex. Anything like that. You know, even soap. Even, even a soap solution. Once something is, is, is soapy, so dogs don't like soapy crumbs. Dogs don't, you know, they're no better than to eat, uh, dishwashing soap. But, um, Lysol, Windex, any spray that's toxic, any spray that is a cleaning agent, once it hits the crumbs, those crumbs are no longer chametz, and that even even if those crumbs get in your food, you didn't eat chametz. So 
like an insurance policy to make sure that you're really not going to be eating chametz pesach is when you're cleaning the the areas of your house where where you eat the kitchen the dining room spray 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 liberally spray with copious amounts of cleaning agents wear a mask I suppose open up the doors um, get some fresh air you know every every few hours but if you cleaned and scrubbed with cleaning agents. Anything that they touched, even if there's little crumbs left behind, you know, in, in, in the, 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 the fridge, the rubber thing around the, the, the rubber ceiling thingy around the fridge, or fridge shelves, or on the counters, if they got hit with bleach, even if they end up in your food, you didn't eat chametz. So really, cleaning agents are a very good insurance policy. And, is there a question? Sorry? Yes, I have a question. Um, so as I said, it doesn't really even have to be toxic. I, 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 I said, even, even like uh, soap. Soap is also... Crumbs, yeah. As I mentioned, the dishwashing soap. If it doesn't have a chemical, it's still okay. If I would wash my counter, like, I bet I wash my counter all It has to be something that, that uh, gives it a bad taste. And, you know, it can't say, if it says on the bottle, um, environment-friendly and dog-friendly you probably don't want to use that because, meaning if it says that your dog will still eat it. Because technically if you drink it, you won't, like, you won't die. Yeah, I mean, you'll probably be sick, but I don't You'll be sick, okay. And the dog would also be sick, and dogs are smarter than that, right? Dogs don't want to get sick. Um, and, and usually they have like a, a they, they have a bad taste, right? These these, these things have a, give it a, an unpleasant taste. <laughs> They won't, right, but the dog doesn't have to die. That's not necessary. <laughs> what? Right. So, so I don't know. These natural things, it really depends on... I don't know what they're doing exactly. If it's something that's leaving behind an unpleasant taste, if it gives it an unpleasant taste, and um, um, an unpleasant taste... And and it will make you sick, then then uh, you know you can rely upon that. But it, you know, it should be something, some locally. Even if you're going to go with the natural cleaners, it should be like the the heavy duty natural cleaners, the ones that really don't taste good. Or even look, dishwashing soap is also okay. Um, standard dishwashing soap, which is uh, also not toxic, but it, but it has a very bad taste. You know, if you drink a cup of soap, drink, drink a cup of uh, even if you mix it with water, it doesn't taste good. A dog would not drink that. Um, so this is the, the, the first step in cleaning the kitchen and the dining room. It's very important to know that this is uh, an insurance policy. Everything should be cleaned with something with something toxic. Um, that being said, so technically speaking, um, if you let's say your fridge, let's say your cabinets, you sprayed them with Lysol or Windex or whatever else you like to use, something heavy-duty, something, um, you know, cleaning agents. If the entire surface, interior surface area of your fridge was sprayed very well, and your cabinets were sprayed very well, technically speaking, you're good to go. You really could use it as is for Pesach because it's been, all the chametz have been neutralized. And even if there's little crumbs you didn't see that get into your food, those are not called crumbs anymore. However, Yisrael Kedoshim Heim, we try to be extra careful when it comes to Pesach. The minig Yisrael is that we line things on Pesach. So even though we spray out the fridge with, 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 with cleaners and, 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 and the cabinets and the drawers, nevertheless, the minute is to line them because, who knows, maybe there's one little crumb in the corner that I didn't get. 
So, you know, we take out, I guess you could say, two insurance policies on Pesach. We spray, we, we clean well. So that means even if there's crumbs that, even if there's crumbs that I didn't wipe out, but all the crumbs got, got neutralized with, with the cleaner. And then we line it, and even if there was a crumb that I didn't get, so I, I lined it. So we, we, we clean out the fridge, we line the fridge, we clean out the cabinets, we line the cabinets, but it's good, it's reassuring to know, you know, that we don't have to be very, very neurotic over Pesach, even if there may be crumbs that I didn't see, I wasn't able to clean, get, get inside all those little, excuse me, the, the, the areas around the, 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 the um, the, the um, rubber seal around the fridge door, but if I sprayed the whole thing nicely, any chametz that might have been there is no longer chametz. Okay? So the only time I'm eating chametz on Pesach, and I'm guilty of eating chametz if it was when it's still food, if it was cleaned with, it was sprayed with a cleaning agent, it's no longer chametz. Okay. Um, that is really the guidelines for cleaning. That's what we're looking for. Outside the kitchen, the dining room, we're not looking for a lot of things. In the kitchen, dining room, we have to knock out any chametz that might get into our food, even if it's minuscule. And we do that by by cleaning everything with with uh, cleaning agents. Um, now let's talk a little bit about cashering. I think we have enough time still to go through the basics of cashering um, and and uh, what the basic cashering methods are in the kitchen and uh, what needs to be cashered and how to casher it. So let's start with the sink. So so cashing. Why are we cashering? Why are we just spraying everything with bleach? Just spray everything with Lysol. We just said, if there's crumbs there, the bleach uh, knocks them out. So why do we have to cash or anything? Just spray everything. So the answer is, the spraying works to to um, deactivate the active chametz, the crumbs that are there. there's any crumbs that are around, spraying knocks them out. They're not chametz anywhere. But the same way we know uh, you can't use a tray of pot to cook food, once it's been traced, it has to be cashered because there's much more than just the crumbs that are in the pot. The actual food, that's the, what the food, the, 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 the taste of the food that gets absorbed into the pot and the lining of the pot, that's why we have to cash your pots. So chametz on Pesach is no different. Chametz that was absorbed through heat is going to bring that chametz back out into your food when it's exposed to heat on Pesach. So that's why the sinks, the countertops, certainly the appliances, the pots and pans have to be cashered. It's not enough just to clean them very well because once you start cooking with heat, use hot water in your sink, you put hot food down on the counter, so the chametz that was absorbed into the counter, into the pots, is going to come back in on Pesach. Like, just like on, on, on chametz, on Pesach, chametz becomes treif. Chametz is regarded as something that's treif, and that's why we got to kasher everything. So, let's go through the basics of kashering and what you have to know around the kitchen. Let's start with the sinks. Um, stainless steel sinks may be cashered, and they should be cashered. Uh, the way you cashier your stainless steel sink is through what's called irui. Irui is um, the method we use to cashier anything that wasn't involved directly in cooking, but may have been exposed to boiling hot chametz. If boiling hot chametz plopped down on something, you cashier with irui. Irui means to pour. So chametz, boiling hot chametz may have plopped into your sink, may have plopped onto your canters. You don't cook on your canters. You don't cook in the sink. Um... We're not dealing with bakram diras over here. So in, in, in your standard kitchen, people don't cook and you don't put like you don't put the, you know put a plug in the in, in the sink and, and and put an immersion heater inside the sink and, and make your fried chicken soup there in the sink. No, we don't cook in our sinks. We don't cook on our canters. But hot boiling hot chametz may plop down into the sink on the on the canters. Any area where hot chametz may have plopped and landed, you clean with you kasher with pouring with irui. Irui means you take a pot that 
um, has not been used for 24 hours. You, you actually may use a chametz pat to do this as long as it hasn't been used for 24 hours. The minig is to kasher the pat before you do this nevertheless, but technically speaking, you're allowed to take any pat as long as it has not been used for 24 hours. Um, you fill it up with, with, with water, let it come to a very strong boil, and pour it into the sink, making sure that all the areas of the sink uh, were splashed by the boiling hot water. So it may take more than one session. If you have a, a double sink or you have a large sink, you have, may have to do this with more than one pot. Sometimes you can have, it may be worthwhile to have more than one pot, two pots going up on the stove at a time, so you can do it all in one shot. But the entirety of the surface area of the sink has to be has to be um, sprayed with the water. The faucet also, you want to get the faucet because sometimes hot chametz can go onto the faucet. You know, you're straining your macaroni, the macaroni can go flying everywhere, that's boiling hot chametz, that's plopping and landing everywhere. All the stainless steel areas of the sink should be doused with boiling hot water. And then your sink is good to go for Pesach. Once you do that, you don't need uh, an insert. You, you can use the sink as is. Um, it is also Kedai... Uh, oh, sorry, let, let me back up. I failed to mention something. Before you do this, the sink has to not be used with hot water for 24 hours. Now, there is a big misconception over here. Some people people generally think you can't use the sink at all for 24 hours. That's not true. It can't be used with very hot water for 24 hours. But you're allowed to run the, the tap. You're allowed to use cold water there. Um, that's not a problem. It's not that the sink has to be taped up and is off limits for 24 hours. It has to not be used for hot liquids for 24 hours, whether through the tap or pouring things into the sink. Like if you pour out a hot soup into the sink, you have to start the, the 24 hours again. But as long as you're not using hot liquids, you may use the sink, and that doesn't uh, cancel out. You don't start the 24 hours again. So you clean the sink well, clean it out well. Don't use hot water in that sink for 24 hours. And then you make hashrits. Okay, but the sink may be used during the 24-hour period, just not with hot water. Also, it's recommended when you clean it up before you begin the 24 hours to pour a nice amount of bleach or Lysol or Windex or your favorite um, 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 natural cleaning agent. Yeah, uh, biodegradable natural cleaning agent. But um, you want to do that because there's always mush and stuff sitting there in the, in, the, in the bottom of like the garbage, the garbage disposal and the drain over there, and usually that stuff is 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 no longer fit for consumption by a dog. But in case there's chametz, that maybe a dog would still be interested in. So you pour bleach down there, so that way you neutralize any chametz that may be below the sink. Good. And then after 24 hours, you pour the boiling hot water over the sink area. That's the sinks. If you don't have a stainless steel sink, probably what you have is a ceramic sink. A ceramic sink cannot be kashered. Then you have to go down to Lakewood. And get an insert. They probably sell them in House of Kosher also, though. They have a lot of good uh, Pesach products in House of Kosher. You have to buy an insert. Okay? And you can't cash it if it's ceramic. Stainless steel, you could cash it. Countertops. Countertops um, uh, come in different shapes and sizes and varieties and different flavors. Um, stone countertops, granite, may be cashered. Uh, stainless steel, if anyone has that in their home, usually it's more uh, industrial. But stainless steel definitely can be kashered. Um, quartz can be kashered. Now there's formica. Formica and other types of... Um, uh, this, what, what, what are the other ones? Formica. I don't remember right now the name of the other. There's, there's, there's these brands. So formica is like a mixture of, of, of uh, like plastic, silicon, and, 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 and stone. 
Um, it's, it's a dispute amongst the Paiskim if you can cash that. One may be Makel, one, one may be Makel and rely on the Paiskim that let you cash that. There is an exception though, and that is sometimes these countertops can get, uh, cracked or they can get chipped. Wherever there's a chip, it can't be kashered. Once it's not the, a, a flat surface, it can't be kashered anymore. So you have one of two options. You can sand it down and make it flat and flush again, or you can cover that part of the countertop. But in general, most countertops that people have generally can be kashered, and one may be Saimichan the Paiskim that let you kasher for Micah. Um, kashering is a very big ASIC. Kashering is, 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 is not an easy thing to do, because again, it's the same thing as the sinks. You have to do irui, because the hot chametz that may have plopped down onto your countertops. And to do irui, you have to get these big vats of boiling hot water, let them come to a solid boil, and pour it over your countertop and make sure all areas of the countertop became, got into contact with the water, and you have to clean it for 24 hours, and let it sit for 24 hours. So, some people just opt not to cash their countertops at all, but to cover them. Covering would be the other option, but very important to know, if you're covering them, they have to be covered properly. To be covered properly, they have, you have to put something down that has a certain thickness to it, a certain substance to it, because we're concerned that boiling hot chametz was on the countertops. If on Pesach, hot food goes onto that same countertop, it's going to draw out what was absorbed in the countertop. And if all you have covering your countertops is, let's say, uh, like a, a, a sh- one sheet of tin foil, so the halach is actually that if something very hot is on top of the foil and there's liquid in between the foil and the countertop, that actually will allow the food to draw, the, the water conducts what's absorbed into the countertop through the liquid into the foil into your food. So, the right way to cover your countertops on Pesach is to go down to an arts and crafts store or I think Home Depot sells this stuff also. You want, they, they have these plasticky, um, what? In House of Kosher, right. They started selling them last year, yes. They're corrugated plastic thingies. And those are the, actually the best things to use because they have two layers. They're standard, they're corrugated. Um, there's a layer above and a layer below. So even if it gets wet up below, but the top layer is an independent layer um, because it's corrugated, and that's the best way to go. So if you're going to cover your countertops, you want something like that. Um, you don't want to just put down foil. You don't want to put down contact paper. Carbo would be okay. Or um, uh, vinyl. People get these vinyl countertops. Vinyl on a roll. That's okay. Yes, vinyl's okay. Yes, vinyl's fine because it's like two things that are glued together. Um, furry, yes. Nice and furry. So that's okay. Vinyl's okay. Um, but you don't want to use tin foil. You don't want to use contact paper. Okay, vinyl or those corrugated plastic sheets um, would be the way to go. That's the, with the cancer stuff. So you have, you can either kasher or you can cover. Covering is usually easier, but it is a little bit more expensive. Um, yeah. Um, appliances. Cashering appliances. So the ovens with self-cleaning modes are a great gift from the Rebbeinu Shalalem because self-cleaning is self-cashering. And all you need to do with, with that oven, you don't need to clean it out um, very, 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 very meticulously. You just need to make sure that there's no big chunks of food in the in, in the oven. Um, there can be there can be gunk on the on the um, grates. That's okay. You, you you open it up. You look for pieces that can be removed by hand. Any piece, any like a piece of food that's in there, you take out, put it on self cleaning mode, and then come back the next morning. And now is kosher for Pesach, including the racks. 
and including anything you throw in there. So some people like to even throw their grates from their, the stovetop in there. Anything you put in the self-cleaning oven on self-cleaning oil will be kashered. It reaches temperatures that go above the minimum threshold required for, for series cashering. However, it's known that self-cleaning does not raise to the same degree of heat the, the door of the oven and that gasket, the lining of the door. So what should be done is if someone's going to do um, a self-cleaning mode on their oven to kasher it, the, afterwards the, the um, door should be lined with foil. You should get some tape. It'll, it'll stay there for a week. We've done this before. Tape, foil. No, on the inside, the inside of the door. With the inside of the door, including where the um, door touches the, the, the body of the oven, should be lined with foil. Correct. Anything goes in there is, is cash or does not have to be covered. Um, also, the oven does. You don't have to wait 24 hours before cashing an oven on self-cleaning mode. Self-cleaning is called libun chamur. It's called heavy-duty cashing. And anytime you do heavy-duty cashing, you don't need a 24-hour wait. The 24-hour wait is only required for irui, the pouring, or hagala, uh, bring something to a boil. But um, popping something into a self-cleaning oven does not require the 24-hour wait beforehand. So you can make your kids pizza for you know the the, the for the the last supper, and then you can cash or the oven that evening that evening um, with on self cleaning mode. You don't have to wait twenty four hours. Um, okay, it's it's uh, we got to stop now. So next week we will start with the rest of the cashering methods. Uh, everything else, how to cash or a standard oven, a convection oven, microwave ovens, um, anything else that you have lying around the house, the household appliances. How to kasher, um, uh, you know, just utensils and things like that, and then we'll move on from there to um, the two more things we'll cover next week in Mitzvah Hashem, and that is the medicine cabinet, cosmetics, toiletries, personal products, and also what you have to do by the seder. We'll try to finish off with that. What do you have to eat? What do you have to drink? And how much of it? And what what, what can you get away with? And what should you try to do? Okay, that will be next week. So thank you all for joining.